Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. All right, Ken, close your eyes. It's a real thing. All right. Right now, you have Christians hiding in various places in your house. Uh, they are hiding because there are people out there who want to kill them unrighteously. Okay? Now, keep your eyes closed. You hear a knock at the door. Doing audiobook noises. And now you're going to walk over to the door. That's you opening the door. <laughs> Hello. Do you... Sorry, these are European killers. <laughs> do you have Christians in your home? What do you say? I guess we'll find out after the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. Well, as we heard from the introduction, we are talking about this issue of lying, and if it is ever permissible to tell a lie. Now, you who are li our listeners, if you are a new listener, you may not be aware, but our whole show is based off of a chart that we have developed, and it is you can find it on our website, dotheology.com slash chart, and no, that is... No. Yes, yeah, I fixed it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I got it fixed. All right. Yeah, because yeah, it was dotheology.com slash p slash chart, which doesn't sound nearly as cool to say. Yeah. Well, I have to give props to the uh, Podbean support team because they've helped us out. So, nice. Way do go, theology. Yeah. Not a sponsor. <laughs> we actually pay them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But dotheology.com slash chart once again brings us to the chart page on our website. And I encourage you, that is just a handy resource. But on there, you notice the columns and how they're laid out. And the primary doctrine column, we have a section in there on practice, biblical practice. Included within that is biblical ethics and morality. And we consider this a primary issue. Okay, this these are, these are things that define what it means to be a Christian, that if we claim to be believers, these are things that we abide by. And included with ethics and morality is the issue of lying, and if it is ever permissible to tell a lie, and what our approach must be to telling the truth. Hmm. And, and I think in 99.9% .9 of scenarios, we would have agreement as Christians, right? I mean, we understand yes. that a major aspect of Christianity is our morality, and we can think of different ways that that plays out, that these are issues we can't budge on. Mm -hmm. But then you put yourself in a very unique scenario, like the one we so cleverly acted out in the intro. Uh, and, and then it does raise questions like, okay, well, what is the right thing to do? Is there an exception to what we would say is the right thing to do for the greater good in a scenario like that? Yes. And we have... Uh We've solicited some feedback upon this issue on our Facebook page, and we do that from time to time. So if you have not liked our Facebook page, I encourage you to do that because you can engage in the conversation and perhaps your feedback will be read or uh, submitted onto our show and we can engage with it that way. Uh, Jeremy, you want to read some of the responses we got about the question, if yeah. it is ever permissible to lie? There's a lot to share. Uh, yeah, we, we asked on Facebook, tell us, is it ever okay to lie? And I said, comment below or message us an audio clip, and it may be featured in an upcoming episode. No one messaged us an audio clip. I thought it would be a lot of fun to play, like, audio responses. And so just do that anyway. Like, if you're a listener to the podcast yeah. and there's stuff you want to say to us, instead of just, like, typing it out old school, go to Facebook Messenger, and you know how you can send audio? Just send us an audio in there, and we'll play it in an episode. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Like a call-in show. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, well, I'll just give a, a sampling here. So, Kara or Kara, sorry, C A R A. I don't know which which one it is. I trust you don't care so much right now. Uh, she says that in her ethics class at Midwestern Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we also went to school, but not to that school, they discussed this, and the uh, discussion prompt was the Nazi at the door. So that's kind of what we said in the intro and that's where everybody's mind goes right is okay mm-hmm. Corey ten boom and the nazis but uh, she said the options were tell the truth because lying is a sin lie but later ask forgiveness or lie knowing it's a sin but don't ask forgiveness because god is okay with the sin and uh, then she said it's never okay to sin therefore it's never okay to lie but sometimes we do sin and we should ask forgiveness for the sin okay uh, Chris Marsh, friend of the show, I think, right? He says, <laughs> he shows up from time to time on our Facebook stuff. He says, I think the Nazi at the door example is perfect for this situation. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others. Lying to a German soldier to spare the life of another would have to be permissible, I think. Also, do I look fat in this would have to fall into this category as it's also potentially sparing a life. <laughs> Chris Regas, brother Chris, he says, I'll get back with you after I ask the Israelite midwives Rahab and Corey Tinboom. Winky face. Sly, sly, sly. Oh. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Tutwiler says, I would say never okay to lie, just like I would say it's never okay for divorce. But because of the hardness of man's heart and our wicked bent that there are times when God excuses or permits based on the condition of one's heart and circumstances. So that's an interesting correlation, uh, mm-hmm. lying and divorce. Mm-hmm. Devin says, depends on the context. All right. Haley, Haley Hooks. She says, it's never okay to lie. It is one of the moral laws and God never condones something he forbids. However... That's very interesting. You make a statement like that and say, however. So we'll discuss that because that, I think, goes on with everybody who says it's okay. However, he knows our frame and knows that we are weak. So if we do lie, we can ask for his forgiveness. For those of you asking about Nazis at the door, I'm pretty sure I would lie in that situation. But not for one second do I believe that it would be right. It would be better to keep silent or cleverly divert. All right. Um... And then on Twitter, did a little poll on Twitter. We, I have a very hot Twitter account. I got 24 <laughs> responses to my poll. <laughs> Is it ever permissible for a person to tell a lie? 62.5% say yes. 37.5% say no. Felipe on Twitter says, if you want to save somebody's life, then yes. Okay. Uh, Obadiah, friend of the show. Obadiah, he says he's personally struggling with that issue. Some say there's a difference between lying and strategic deceit in war. Mm. They compare it to murdering versus killing. Killing is not the same as murdering when it's in war, but I don't know if that's really the case, and I think we'll probably touch on that here in just a bit. Um, yeah, we've got Phil and Dave the Dispy Hipster on there chatting back and forth too, so they went on for a long time. I won't repeat everything they said, but that's worth checking out. Uh, if you're interested in more on this issue and unfading crowns of glory on Twitter said, was Rahab recognized for her lie? And James two is a good thing. That's a question that deserves contemplation. We'll get there. And Michelle Moore here on Twitter says, other than the midwives, not killing the male Israelite babies in Exodus, a non-biblical example, I think would be Corey Tinboom, who sheltered and hid the Jews from the Nazis. So there she's answering in the affirmative it is sometimes permissible to lie. So there's a bunch of different responses. Mm-hmm. I think the general consensus is there are exceptions. Indeed. But of course, there are a few people there who are saying, no, even in those desperate situations, you are not allowed to lie. Mm-hmm. So Ken, you wrote uh, a, a paper on this. You took an ethics class through Shepherd's Seminary. Correct. Shepherd's Theological Seminary out of Cary, North Carolina. And you have some thoughts on this. You did a deep dive into this issue. And what do you got? Yeah, so this was, I th- in my ethics class, this was genuinely the most difficult thing to wrestle through. There are some challenging biblical texts to examine when approaching this conversation, 
And it was it was not easy to work through and to come to a conclusion. And I even have to say the conclusion of where I stand today. I think there are problems with my position. And oh. but but really, I think there's what it comes down to. I think there's less problems with my position than there are of the other possible p- positions that others have put forward. So you're saying there is no perfect solution. There may be a perfect solution, but I don't know what it is. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, there's there's uh, solutions that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work through some of those things and talk about those things as they, as they come up. One of the things I did want to kind of preface this whole conversation with, though, we, we did take an ethics class, and when we're approaching the conversation of ethics and how we think through practical life scenarios when we're applying biblical principles to life— I'm going to use some big words here. These are the words that we used in ethics class to describe our ethical system. And I think it's important that we understand these concepts as we begin to talk about this. So uh, we, all, we talked about in class about how our a biblical ethical system is a deontological, teleological, virtue ethical system. Only in seminary do people talk about this issue that way. Correct. What a bunch of... Eggheads. <laughs> but it is important because the, the concepts are important, even if the words are cumbersome. Deontological refers to that which is inherently right or and good, the difference between right and wrong based on the intrinsic nature of the thing and our duty to do what is right. Deontological. Teleological comes from Greek word telos or end. So the end or the goal, the result of the actions, and of course, biblically, the goal, the end of everything we do should be for the glory of God. So that is an important factor in our ethical system. And virtue ethics refers to the fact that our character matters. It's not just the external action that matters, but it's also the character of what's going on inside. Our motives matter. Our our heart intentions matter. If we just do what is right on the outside, but inside we're doing things with the wrong motives, the wrong reasons, and with wickedness and sin in our hearts, we've not actually accomplished biblical ethics. And so these so, are... So you're looking for an alignment in all three of those categories then yeah. with these difficult scenarios of, well, it seems like lying may be the only option but all three of those things still have to line up. Yes, because a lot of times what happens when, especially when people throw out, because everybody talks about the, the Nazis at the door thing, right? That's that's what everybody jumps to. Well, so much of the time we're jumping to a, a, an ethical system that is only considering the motive. Well, right. I'm I I I know the actions were wrong, but the motives are right, and so we're trying to excuse actions in favor of motives, or some others only consider the end results. Well, good resulted from this, or some evil was prevented, or some other good purposes were furthered, therefore, this is okay. And that is called, that's pragmatism, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) That things get very pragmatic very quickly. So so really, I mean, the the question is, is is there ever a way that bearing false witness could pass that first ontological test? I mean, ontologically, could bearing false witness ever make it past that that first level of saying it's in the realm of permissible that is the challenge and that's the discussion for today hey well give us give us some more thoughts okay so here's how i've kind of worked through this and and come to my conclusion uh there's kind of two parts to this first is it ever morally right to withhold information and not provide the full truth. So we're not talking about actually speaking something that is false, but I'm withholding information. I'm speaking truth, but not the whole truth. Okay, so we we think of the courtroom. This is where you actually have to take an oath to promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, absent of such an oath, are there times when that's permissible? And I came to the conclusion that yes, there are times when that is appropriate, and we have biblical precedent for this. So I'm going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. In the context of this, uh, I'm not going to try to get too deep into the weeds on the, on the context, but we have uh, Saul who has been rejected as king over Israel because of his disobedience, and you have Samuel who is going to Bethlehem in order to anoint David to be king. And he's scared because when he goes, 
people are going to ask why he's there. Why are you showing up here? And he's going, well, if, if I tell people that I'm here to crown a new king, they're going to kill me because I'm, uh, that would be considered, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being disloyal to the king that God has already anointed. Well, God gives instructions to Samuel <clears throat> to essentially cover, to give him a cover story, essentially. And so I'm going to pick it up here. And uh, this is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 2. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. What's going on in that text is... He was there to anoint David as king. That's the purpose, the, the main purpose for which he was there. And yet, because of the concern for his own personal safety, if he goes there and asks and is asked, why are you there? And tells the full truth of that, he's going to be killed. So God says, no, take a heifer and say that you're there to sacrifice, which is true because God has now told him, go sacrifice there. And so now he's giving that as the reason why he's there, even if it's not the primary reason for why he is there. So it seems that there are some circumstances in which it is permissible, in fact, even directly commanded by God in this context, to have such a scenario. Now, we want to approach such situations with extreme caution. Uh, I don't believe we should be looking at this like, oh, oh, hey, I found my loophole, right? Like we're, we're, uh, the yeah, motives. If, if your motivation is to find loopholes, we're starting, yeah, we're starting at the wrong place. Yeah. We, we have to uh, acknowledge and recognize that, um, my train of thought just went right out the window. Uh, <laughs> it's a big window. Yeah. The whole train can fit through it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so God is directly giving Samuel instructions about providing a partial truth and not the whole truth. But we also know that God, it is outside of God's nature to lie. So God was with, there was a withholding of information, but there was a, a situation where that apparently was, was a permissible action to do. But we, again, have to be careful to be considering our own hearts and not using this as an excuse to get out of whatever situation. Well, I didn't lie about that when we are being deceptive. And if our motives are purely about self-preservation, if they're self-centered, that's not good either. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, there's a Matthew, Matthew Henry in his commentary. I don't remember. I'm like trying to really remember what passage he could have been commenting on, but he had something in his commentary about this idea of, not all truths need to be said hmm. at once. Everything that you say must be true, but not all truths need to be said at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's just a basic life principle that we do well to grasp. Well, there's wisdom in that. I mean, just, you know, when your kid comes and asks you, when your, when your five-year-old asks you where new babies come from, you know, how much are you going to impart to that child at five years old? You know, it, th- how we communicate, it, we, we, and we shouldn't directly lie to that. Oh, the stork brings the baby. I, I don't think that's an appropriate response. But there is a limitation on how much truth, how much of the full truth you're going to impart to that child for their own good, really. Yeah. You oh, know, it, here we, here, I found it. I found it. I searched okay. my sermons folder. Matthew Henry said, and I don't, this was in a sermon I did on Esther. I don't know if he was commenting on Esther or not, but he said, All truths are not to be spoken at all times, though an untruth is not to be spoken at any time. (laughs) All truths are not to be spoken at all times, though an untruth is not to be spoken at any time. There you go. Yeah, I I think that is a good quote. Good job, Matthew Henry. That's right. Old books still have value. Amen. So there's that, there's that kind of scenario. Now that is one aspect of potential deception. It's not necessarily deception outright, but it's, it's potential deception. But then there's the flip side. Okay, is it ever 
permissible? Is it ever right to actually give misinformation, to affirm that which you know to be false or to deny that which you know to be true? And before we get to the exceptions that, that may or may not exist in this area, I think it, we would do well to lay down a good biblical framework on truth-telling and what the good scriptural ethic should be our starting place. Number one, God cares about truth. God cares about truth. He is the God of truth who cannot lie. Uh, Titus 1-2, Hebrews 6, uh, 6-18, both those passages communicate that God, it is impossible for God to tell a lie. He cannot tell a lie. He never lies. He also has commanded that we speak truth and he forbids lying. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Colossians 3.9, this is another, a similar passage about putting away falsehood and not lying. Revelation 21.8 says that all liars will have their end in the lake mm. of fire. If you've ever listened to Ray Comfort, share the gospel. Yeah. You've heard that line. <laughs> yeah. We have numerous proverbs about lying. Six things are an abomination that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. That's Proverbs 6. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Those who act so, faithfully are his delight. No doubt. No doubt lying is sinful. I'm going to read. And worthy of punishment. Yeah. Uh, Proverbs 19, a false witness will not go unpunished. Speaking of punishment. He who breathes out lies will perish. Like, there's no, there's no uh, equivocation here. We don't find exception clauses in Proverbs. Like it's just not there. Of course, it's part of the Ten Commandments. You shall mm -hmm. not bear false witness against your neighbor. Contrasting with the nature of God and His desire and love for truth, we have the devil, who is the father of lies. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And, and this is why biblical morality is in the primary doctrine yes. column, because, I mean, there is just no—that that transcends any interpretive grid. Lying is sinful. Amen. Now— then you get into situational ethics, though. Yeah. And does that then send us to the third column and just make this whole thing doubtful? Or what? How do we, how do we process this? Because you, you hear that and you think, yes, okay, lying, sinful, I get it. Same page. God hates lying. Yet, if I don't lie, if I say, oh, yeah, I got Christians hiding in my home. Come on in. Mm-hmm. Or... Don't come in. Well, they're still going to shoot me, and they're going to go, and they're going to get the Christians. How could God be pleased with that? Yeah, there's, there's, this is where the, the, the biblical text and the rubber meeting the road all come together. Um, I cannot. I, I'm going to reemphasize this about starting with the baseline of what the scripture text says. That has to be our baseline. If we are jumping to exceptions before we've dealt with. All of what we've just gone through, we are we are starting off on the wrong foot. We can't be moving through that too quickly. So we have to embrace that. We talked about ever omitting truth, and this is where uh, I uh, I really should have started with all that biblical text before talking about the issue of omitting truth from First Samuel, etc. Um, but I kind of got those uh, switched around. But this it, there's uh, po three possible. Uh, there's probably more than three possible, but there's three popular possible approaches to this issue of, is it ever permissible to actually give misinformation, to affirm that which we know to be false, or to deny that which we know to be true? Possible approach number one. This is actually the approach that John Frame takes. He says that our obligation is to our neighbor. The Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, not everyone is your neighbor. We don't have an obligation to those who are not neighborly. The, the Nazi that's coming knocking on your door, that's asking for Christians, his, in, his intent is to harm, is to kill, is to murder. We do not have an obligation to such an individual to speak truth to them. It is permissible to lie to them because the scriptural command is that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What do you think of that, Jeremy? I think it sounds nice, but it cannot hold, hold up to much scrutiny. 
when when we define not acting neighborly, I would say we would have to define that as someone seeking to sin against us or other people. And if we have the opportunity to to throw them off track, then we should just fight fire with fire. Here they are seeking to sin. Well, then we can play their game and use sin to throw off their sin. Uh, wow. Let's not use the not lying to the Nazis as an example. Let's use, uh, say people are wanting to murder. So can you use murder to stop their murdering? This is like the Bonhoeffer thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, still in the Nazi context. Is, would, it, would it have been okay to murder Hitler? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, now the conversation gets a little more intense. <laughs> uh, is it okay to murder people who you know are are after you or your family? Should uh, I should I bomb the abortion clinic because they're there, killing babies? Yeah. There you go. Okay. The answer is no. We, <laughs> <laughs> when we get into <laughs> that's right. When we get into <clears throat> the fighting fire with fire type conversation, to me, it's going to be pretty well impossible to be consistent and you're making up a principle that God doesn't give us. And that's the bottom line right there. Nowhere in scripture do we have this kind of definition, this kind of thing where you can say, well, if, well, first of all, he says against bear false witness against your neighbor. We have this obligation to our neighbor. Well, who is our neighbor? Right? Who we act, who, 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 what is the definition of a neighbor? And if we look at Jesus's words, uh, our neighbor is much more broadly defined than we would probably want to admit. Our neighbor, the definition of neighbor isn't anybody who wants to do good to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Who was acting neighborly there? And, and the, in that text, this is Luke chapter 10, and you can see that whole context in verses 25 through 37. But there's a lawyer there, and he's saying, and, and this, is, this is the text, it says, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And the definition was not one that he was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so we to, to narrow that down to say uh, we only have an obligation to our neighbors, I think, is problematic. Furthermore, in, the, in passages like the Sermon on the Mount and in uh, the parallel passage in Luke, Jesus indicates that we owe even our worst enemies our love and to do good to those who would abuse us and spitefully abuse us. So we to, to say that, oh, we don't owe goodness and don't owe what is right to even those who would be considered our enemies and that are not our neighbors, I think stands on very, very shaky exegetical ground. Well, I think the retort would be, so you're saying we should just aid them in their sin because telling the truth then would just be giving them an open door to accomplishing something sinful they're wanting to do uh, when you know, our, I think our response to that should be, well, no, we're not saying aid them in their sin. Mm -hmm. We're saying do all that you can to um, stop them from committing any kind of heinous, evil, wicked, sinful deed. But don't say that the only way that I can do that is if I also join into a heinous, wicked, evil, sinful deed. Yes. So uh, we don't want to create a false dichotomy mm -hmm. and say that the only way to fight this fire is with fire of our own, because God just never says that. Correct. Yep. So that's that's John Frame's approach, and I'm. It's hard to disagree with John Frame sometimes, but I do in this case. Well, this, he also sprinkles babies, but that's that, yeah, episode. that's true. Yeah. The second possible approach is very similar to the first one, and I do believe uh, Norm Geisler takes this view uh, in his ethics material. Again, it's similar to the first one, except it's it's not defined by the issue of neighbor, but it says lying is always wrong when we owe the truth, and we don't owe the truth to those who intend harm. So it, it kind of dismisses the aspect of neighborness and just focuses on the intent of the of the other person. I think this is very of the person, the worthiness of the person. Yeah, it's. It's very similar, I think, in many ways to the first one. But again, the same issue comes back to who defines who is owed the truth. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is uh, what I think Dave the Dispy Hipster on our Twitter page, I think that's what he was saying, okay. is uh, taking the Geisler view yeah. of does do you owe truth to that person? <clears throat> and I think we could say, from a biblical worldview, 
without exception, Christians owe truth to every other image bearer of God with whom they communicate. I would agree. So to say that there is a certain classification of fellow image bearers who are unworthy of truth, boy, that, that seems like an uphill battle to try to make that, make that argument. What, what could cause them to be unworthy of the truth? Uh, that is, uh, that's going to be a man-made standard. There's just no yeah. other And, other and the standard is if they intend harm or if they intend you know, to kill or something like that. But again, it gets very pragmatic and subjective. Oh, it does. What defines harm? And why is why is murder the line? Okay, if if there's if they desire to do something sinful, but it's not murder, you still owe them truth. But if it's murder, then you don't owe them truth. Yeah, exactly. You drew that line there, right? right? Or you know, I mean, you just think of all the different scenarios that a person might want to do something that the Bible calls wrong, and then say, okay, if that's something you're desiring to do, I don't owe you truth. I mean, that could be. I mean, they're just countless scenarios, I suppose. Like the. Um, people who, if you're a Christian baker and they're going to have a gay wedding, the couple, the gay couple comes in and they ask you, will you do the wedding? Well, they're intending to do something sinful. So you got to say, you could say something sinful in response, like, oh, I'm going to be unable, I'm going to be out of town that week. Is that justified because you don't owe them truth? Yep. Uh, Wow. Now, now we're, now it's just a selfish self-preservation type mentality. Pragmatic. I agree. Which leads us to the fourth, or the third, rather, uh, possible approach. And this is the approach that Wayne Grudem takes. And this is essentially where I'm at right now. Uh, Although, again, I think there are some challenges with this approach as well. Wayne Grudem uh, goes through and he looks at all the biblical texts that speak about lying and deception. And he concludes that, obviously, there's there are so many. If you if you just type in uh, lying into, I don't know if you've ever used this tool, uh, openbible.info, um, that's a hel- helpful tool for looking up yeah. just what the biblical topics, you can type in any word in there, and it'll show you a whole bunch of, of verses that deal with that topic. And if you just type in lying in there, there's so many verses that, that show up. And he, Grudem, or uh, yeah, um, not Grudem, yes, Wayne Grudem. Uh, he lists so many of them in his systematic theology when he's talking about, oh no, not his systematic theology, his ethics textbook, which is just an epic tome of ethics. Yeah, just real quick, the in um, Bible Gateway, I typed in lying. In the New American Standard, there are 73 verses that include lying. The word lie or lied shows up 217 times. Now, obviously, some of those are going to be the physical action of lying down. Sure. But um, there are a ton that are... Not so. I mean, you take those together, and you got about three hundred verses um, that featured those specific words. And if you take out the ones that are about the physical action, I'd say probably half or more are about the the moral aspect of bearing false witness. Yeah, and it's when when Scripture speaks directly to the issue of lying, it is always in condemnation, always, mm-hmm. without exception. Now there are there are narrative passages that describe what is happening, and Scripture doesn't comment necessarily on the rightness or the wrongness of the actions occurring. But whenever the issue of lying is directly spoken to, it is always wrong. The passages that speak, in many of the passages that speak about lying, the emphasis seems to be, and this again, this is Wayne Grudem's approach in his ethics textbook, the emphasis seems to be on verbal or written communication. So we see phrases like uttering it with your mouth, your lips, your tongue, your utterances, speech, or written communication, such as Paul's letters, etc. Therefore, Grudem says, lying therefore seems to be a subset of a broader category of deception, as not all deception is done through verbal or written communication. It seems to be that it's that some forms of deception are not always sinful, but lying always is. So there's a, a little bit of a distinction in things there. Yeah, and I <clears throat> I found this interesting when we talked through this, I don't know how long ago it's been. When did you first write this paper? Ooh, it's been, it's been a, two years? Yeah, I think so. You, you were talking about deception and the difference between lying and deception and stuff like when you are going to be away from your home for an evening, leaving your lights on in your home yep. to make it look like someone's home, is that deception? And is that permissible? That uh, You just never think about it, yeah. right? 
Um, so yeah, that, that's, it's interesting stuff. Well, that deception begins in this, you, you read that, uh, uh, that comment that Obadiah left on the Facebook page about uh, war tactics. Uh, there's there's a case where it seems that God was seems to approve deceptive battle tactics in the book of Joshua. As uh, they're talking about like ambushes and uh, these different things uh, on a on a football field, deception is a key part of every team's strategy on the field, trying to deceive where the ball is going. Like nobody's announcing, hey, we're going to run over here, and then you run the other way. No, you, well, you disguise your But you know what's interesting? For those, who have, for those who are baseball nerds and have watched Ken Burns' baseball documentary, or own it as I do, you'll learn about in that documentary when the curveball was first invented— in the late 1800s or early 1900s. It was in a collegiate context. It was like Harvard or somewhere, uh, that baseball team. Someone figured out how to throw a curveball because before then you just, the pitcher got the ball and you just chucked it, right? So typically like a fastball, just boop, you just throw it in there. Well, when someone figured out the curveball, those who oversaw the operations there at this college, like I said, I think it's Princeton or Harvard or something. He said, we're, they banned the curveball because they said, we are not in the business of deception. All right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. And, it, and so, it, I mean, it was like a moral issue that a ball would look like it was going one direction and then fall off a table. And now we have a whole department of base. Every baseball team has got their pitch lab where they're trying to help pitchers do what's called tunneling, which is trying to get the exact same arm motions and the exact same everything so that at the release point, everything looks identical except for, mm-hmm. so, so it makes it difficult to see where the ball is going to come out and how it's going to move for the batter. That's interesting how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just seems to be that in, in issues of warfare, in issues of, of games and sports and things, that deception is part of the rules of engagement. Like, you know, this is just, this is the understanding that everybody's approaching it into. And it seems to be that that is a different kind of issue than the issue of actual verbal or or written lying as such as forbidden in the scriptures. So we have lying or verbal or written communication or it's direct equivalent. So that could be sign language or hand or, or head gestures. Those things are always wrong. Okay. What do you, you have something to say there? I, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. Uh, <laughs> it was the Har- the Harvard president, Charles Elliott was opposed to the curve claiming it was a dishonest practice, unworthy of Harvard students. Okay. There I you go. Bad. Yeah. How far Harvard has come. <laughs> okay, let's not go that direction. There's a lot to say about that. We need to get to Rahab and James 2. That's where that. I'm going right now. Okay, all right. Or maybe not. Uh, the, the, the text that people always come up with. So if Scripture is clear that these things are wrong, that lying is wrong, how do we understand the difficult passages that the Bible may lead some to conclude that the Nazi situation and the, all these things are permissible? People, yeah, for crying out loud, was not Rahab also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Right. James 2.25. So that one is probably the most difficult of the hard scenarios that people will bring up because of that text right there, justified by her works as she did those things. It's clear in the text, in, in both the Joshua text, well, it's clear in the Joshua text that she lied. She straight up lied. Uh, she put them up on a roof. She hid them. And when the soldiers came, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think I saw them. Go hurry. If you can still catch them, if you if you if they, they went for the gate, you can still catch them. Bold yeah, face. No, no doubt about it. Yep. That was a lie. Yes. This passages that praise her, though, praise her for her faith and honor that she helped the spies. They do not specifically praise the lie. Now, that's a little bit tenuous because... The direct means through which she helped the spies was the lie. Yeah, I mean, it, it, James is saying she was justified by works. Well, what were the works that she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So it doesn't say that the work was that she lied to the Correct. people. But when he brings up that example, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, James dealing with believers in Jerusalem, they knew their Old Testament, they knew the story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they would, that would come to mind that she lied. That's how she did it. Why didn't he clarify not that part of the story? (laughs) Like, why didn't he write that part in there? Sure would have been helpful. But nevertheless, no matter how you look at that, it does not directly say 
that she was being praised for her lie. So to, to try to say that is overstepping what the scripture actually gives for us. People pull up the example of the Egyptian midwives. Again, we have a situation where Pharaoh commanded if uh, when, the, when the Hebrew women, when they give birth to a baby, if it's a male, to kill it. And if it's a, if it's a girl, that, okay, that child can live. And the midwives were not obeying this wicked order from Pharaoh. They were preserving the lives of these babies. When challenged on that, the Hebrew midwives lied and said, oh, these, these Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth so fast before we can even get there. So we don't even have the opportunity to kill the baby as, it's, as they're giving birth. And apparently Pharaoh accepted that, I, I suppose. But the text is clear that God honored the actions of the Hebrew midwives as they were preserving life. But again, it does not say specifically that they're that they are praised and that they're honored for their lying. They're being praised for their preserving of these infant lives, not necessarily for their lies. And this can really transition into the concept of theodicy, right? That God is totally vindicated in the world, a sinful fallen world. Sin exists, and God even uses sin. Yes. But he does so sinlessly. You think of uh, Jacob and Esau, and, uh, you know, before they were even born, Jacob was chosen. But what was the means by which Jacob, you know, obtained the birthright? Uh, Does that implicate God in, in such sin? Well, heaven forbid, may it never be. Right. Is Christ a minister of sin? May it never be. However, he uses sin to accomplish his means, and we could see here that these are potentially a couple of scenarios, the midwives and Rahab, where he used sin to accomplish his means. That doesn't make the sin righteous, but it means he used it. But even with the midwife situation, people people pull that up and say, oh, well, they, they lied and, and God honored it because they lied to preserve life. But they didn't lie to preserve the lives of the babies. They lied out of own self-protection. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's... I don't the think, consequences that they would personally face. Yeah. I don't think you can make that argument from that text that it's permissible to lie to save the lives of others. Well, they didn't lie to save the lives of others. They lied for their own selves. Mm-hmm. So one... Yeah. And, and and that's probably a large part of the Nazis at the door type of scenario too, even with Rahab. Yeah. what the, You think that if she says, oh yeah, they're in my house that they're going to come in and, and take them and just say, okay, Rahab, have a nice day. <laughs> or, or for you, if you're hiding people and the government comes by and you're, you're hiding Christians, you know, it's the year 2028 and we are in the tribulation and, uh, <laughs> and that's going on. They're going to say, okay, well, we're going to take them, but see you later. No, you we all know that you're in danger too. Yes. Right. And so you just want to get them away. So there's probably always an element of self-preservation. Yeah. There's one more text that people often go to, uh, Elisha and the Syrian army. Uh, again, so this is a situation where the, the army was showing up to Elijah, Elisha's house, and they're saying, hey, we're looking for Elisha, and there's a miracle that occurs there where they're kind of struck with blindness, and Elisha says, oh, here, come here, I'll lead you to him. And he takes them into the city where they're surrounded by the enemy, which is Elisha's uh, friends there, and and now they have to surrender because they're surrounded by their enemy. People say, "Oh, Elisha lied in that situation." Uh, I, it's difficult for me to say that there actually was a lie there. His words, if you open up that text and and read through it, his words are a bit ambiguous, and he did actually lead the army to himself. It was just in another location that was advantageous to the king of Israel. So, mm. yeah. So. In all these situations that we have in Scripture and the potential ones that we could face in our lives, we don't want to say that these are simple, easy, just tell the no. truth and yeah. move on, trust God and move on, like uh, like it's that simple. Mm-hmm. We recognize that fear is real, obviously, that evil is real, that there's a ton of pressure in those types of scenarios, and we're not saying it's simple, easy, and we're not saying we're going to always make the perfect decision in these areas either. Like we, I mean, it'd be nice. I was like, yeah, it'd be great if I was perfect in this area. But if a situation came up and I was in a pinch, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do the right thing every time that I have that much confidence in my, in myself. But we can at least recognize while we're not in that situation, while we can kind of back up and examine the big idea and what scripture says that 
we have to say sin is sin. Yes. And we, we can't really get around that. And so you got, you know, and this is a very relevant thing. You got Doug Wilson talking about, let's create fake, <laughs> fake vaccine passport ID things, fake IDs uh, for, you know, when they're going to ask you, hey, well, let me see your papers. Have you been vaxxed? Create a fake ID. That's crossing a line. That's yeah, bearing yes. false witness. That's that's evil deception that we are not to engage in. Mm-hmm. We can't justify that by some greater good argument, or we don't owe them the truth argument, or they're not being neighborly argument. I mean, those are just not biblical principles. And there, it, so yeah. it, it, it's again, I'm not saying it's simple, it's easy. Just live your life uh, now and and just go easily employ these this biblical idea. And we're not saying it's easy, but we're saying objectively there's a right and there's a wrong here and we want to see and affirm and confess what is right and we have to embrace the reality that oftentimes a biblical ethic will have negative consequences in our lives because we live in a sin filled world with evil people who don't care about your ethics they intend to do harm and even if your ethics are perfect and right there's no guarantee that that things are going to go well but yeah, my, my my wife and I were just talking about this recently about this this idea of reaping and sowing, mm-hmm. and we don't want it to get in our heads that you know if we if we sow what is right by doing what is right in our lives, then we're going to reap in this life reward from that. Now there is an element of that there is, but we have to recognize as Christians that our ultimate reaping is our future inheritance that's laid up for us in heaven, right? And in this life, we just have a down payment Mm -hmm. for what is to come, that we don't see our reward as this life. Our reward is what is to come when the righteous judge returns and makes all things right. And during this time, we are going to suffer for what is right. I mean, 1 Peter is so clear about all these things. And so we have to make it our aim, of course, to do what is right, but not because there is some sort of earthly justification, earthly reward, earthly satisfaction, but because we are honoring God with this life so that, you know, in, in the ages to come, uh, we're, we're not looking back, we're not dealing with regret, but we're living this life honoring God, knowing that we have a reward laid up for us in, in the next life. And so, uh, so we just have to be real careful yeah. about, about thinking we're going to be rewarded here and now if we do what is right. Because so often, I don't want to be pessimistic, so often when you do the right thing, you create more problems for yourself. <laughs> and true. that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean stop doing it. Stop doing the right thing because you're creating more problems. Yeah. Nope. Keep doing the right thing and God will, God will straighten it all out in his time. When it comes to the difficult cases, you know, again, everybody goes to the Nazis at the door and there's a variety of other circumstances similar to that. Usually we're presented with, you mentioned before the idea of a false dichotomy. Well, you either lie or you tell the whole truth. When there is room for for other responses and other ways to deflect where you are not speaking falsehoods. I think Jesus's instruction to the disciples, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. I mean, that's that's where it comes into effect. And it's both. Yeah. Shrewd and innocent. And for every case where people are trying to justify lying because, and it's always a pragmatic reason. Well, I'm preserving life. That's pragmatics. Who's to say that that's, I mean, maybe that's God's time for, for these individuals to, um, and, and I'm getting off, I don't want to get off on a tangent too much, but for every case where you have these difficult scenarios, we have examples within church history of individuals who were committed to the truth and God preserved them and blessed them for it. I think two examples in particular, Brother Andrew, if you've not read God's Smuggler, go out and pick yourself a copy. Just a tremendous, it's not a big book. It's a little book, little biography about how God used Brother Andrew to smuggle hundreds or thousands of Bibles across behind the Iron Curtain at a time when Christianity was illegal in the Soviet Union. And he never had to tell a lie. In fact, there were times where he was asked directly, do you have Bibles? And he would say yes. And the guards let him through. It was really a miraculous type thing where he never had to tell a lie. And yet God preserved and protected him along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's the, the, the dichotomy is if we're going to be as shrewd as serpents, we're going to have to be as wicked as serpents. Mm-hmm. Or if we're going to be as innocent as doves, 
then we're just going to be stupid people. Yeah. And it, it, it's, that's not it. It's, you can be both as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And, and, and how, you, how that works in your context, the Holy Spirit's going to have to lead you, lead you through that. I'll, we can't. I'll give you a final example that illustrates that point exactly. Everyone wants to talk about the Nazis and Corey Ten Boom. But the whole point, I think, of, of the hiding place, or not the whole point, but one of the things that Corey Ten Boom emphasizes in the hiding place was how God preserved life despite her not having to tell the lie. Mm-hmm. There's a situation where the Nazis came in, they were hiding Jews under their floorboards, and the table was sitting on top of it. And they're sitting at the table, and the, the Nazis come in, where are the Jews? Oh, they're under the table. Well, they pull up the the the, ta- the tabletop and or the um, what's that called? Uh, tablecloth. Tablecloth. Don't know why that was out of my brain, but they pull up the tablecloth and look underneath, and there's nothing there. And they they start laughing in the room. <laughs> well, they they told the truth. They were underneath the table, but not immediately. It was just underneath mm-hmm. another layer. And the the Nazis went away, and they never had to tell a lie. And God preserved life, and everything worked out in that situation. Now, we don't have that promise and that guarantee that things are always going to work out. Oh, sure. But to try to use these difficult situations as a justification for that which God has expressly forbidden time and time and time again in His Word, I cannot embrace that kind of mentality because it is a pragmatics-driven mentality rather than a God's Word-driven approach Mm -hmm. to this issue. Yeah. So... All right. Well, send us your feedback on that to show at dotheology.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Again, send us an audio message. Send yeah. us a response. I, I think it'd be a lot of fun to play like call-in kind of clips. You know, the now keep it Todd brief. If it's, if, Todd Friel yeah. has beep talk. Keep, keep it clean and brief. If you rattle on like for like that, 10 but, minutes, that's not coming on the show. <laughs> but what's great is that with Facebook Messenger, it limits you to one minute. There you, you go. Do an audio clip. Boom. So you're you, so do it that way. But don't send <laughs> us ten limits. clips. <laughs> yeah. So very good. Well, thanks for uh, listening. And uh, if you got a show idea, send that along too. We would love to chat it out for your benefit. And until next time, do ethical theology.